In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 421 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos and our last episode of 2023 this week Sabina Graves of io9, Todd Martins of the LA Times, and Scott Stein of CNET join me for an end-of-the-year discussion about the year we've had in Immersive, both on the live and digital side, how folks in media outside our field see it, and where they hope this is all going in the near future. Speaking of, on December 30th, possibly when you are listening to this, we will hit the 10th anniversary of the founding of No Proscenium. Yes, it was 10 years ago that very night that I bought the URL and set up the MailChimp account, and now we're here with the same URL and finally off MailChimp, <laughs> serving thousands of readers and listeners around the world while being powered by a dedicated core. To celebrate, we're holding meetups in New York City and L.A. on the same night. We've actually never done this little trick before. Holding on the same night, January 29th, at the Cell Theater in Manhattan and at the Roguelike Tavern in Burbank. Tickets for both will be pay what you can, and we strongly encourage RSVPs for both venues because we hit capacity on our last round of meetups. This time out, the theme is celebrating 10 years of NoPro and the immersive creative community we are so proud to play a part in, which has been around longer than 10 years. We're, we're the two celebrations in one, all right? NoPro backers will have first crack at these tickets with the links going out on Patreon when this episode drops and will stay an exclusive until January 3rd when we'll open it up to everybody. Our backers are why we've managed to come so far, and in our 10th anniversary year, we aim to build on what we've been doing like never before. To get first crack at all we do, head over to patreon.com slash and get hooked up with the newsletter and the Discord along with this first run at tickets to the meetups. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Kurt Collins, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker Lacool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for keeping us going through another year and now on to even bigger things. As always, we're on the lookout for those in the community who want to hook our community up with special deals. So hit me up at Noah at NoProsinium.com for details. We can work something out. And now the episode, there'll be a hell of a lot of me in it more than there should be. I was listening back. I was like, shut up, Nelson. But I got a couple of things on the back end to talk to you about. So we'll do that too. Not too many though. We'll make it a quick. Now it's time to settle in for what is always one of my favorite conversations on the pod, the one where we get to talk to some of my colleagues who are covering Immersive for other bigger publications and talk about the state of the field. 
Joining us from as far away as New Jersey and as near as another neighborhood in Los Angeles, our returning guest, Scott Stein of CNET. Hello, Scott. Hey, hey, it's great to be back on. Our friend Todd Martins of the LA Times. Hey, Todd. Hey, thanks for having me back. And for the first time, Sabina Graves of io9, a website I've been refreshing multiple times a day since it was founded many moons ago. Hi, Sabina. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm excited to be here talking with y'all. Excellent. Uh, Sabina, since this is your first time on the pod, uh, I'm going to kick off our first topic with you. Uh, also, like, we'll get your take on stuff since we don't know your take on stuff. Uh, I've talked with these two too many times. Uh, no, no, not too many times. Why don't I make it sound rude? I don't know. Uh, the coffee's wearing off. That's why. Uh, so you've been covering this part of the entertainment world for a minute now. Like I've I followed your stuff for the past couple of years, uh, specifically the immersive side of it. What, if anything, stood out to you on the beat here in 2023? Oh boy. I mean, this year was like my biggest year, really fully getting into the pool of immersive. I would say I've been casually covering it for various movie websites since 2011, just on the like, Oh, where does a uh, film and immersive or themed entertainment intersect and kind of like going into it with that approach this year. However, you know, I got to see it a, a little bit more deeply and I'm sure y'all have had these conversations before, um, but it definitely became apparent. And I think because of the economy we're currently in, how much a lot of these places that are running immersive entertainment are currently grappling with seeing their talent as not just actors, but also as, you know, basically like I would kind of compare to like a camp to, camp guides you know like summer camp guides and and people who have to deal complexly with you know their guests experiences in an emotional way and if you know if it financially they are being compensated competitively or fairly that that is a great note to start us off on because gosh i was just having a conversation with like the folks in equity um, like a few weeks ago, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have them on the show at some point. Equity being like the the theatrical uh, performers union, also the stage managers union, because um, Equity for a long time hasn't had like a, a a not a bargaining unit, but like an organizing unit, right? So like for for a long time, and definitely even like before pandemic, you know, Equity would go to like a Broadway producer or to like a large regional theater and be like, oh, hey, if you want access to members of our union, you got to make a contract with us. And that was the whole game. They weren't out there like organizing people in little pods here and there. And then like a couple of years ago, uh, there was a, a strip club up in NoHo, uh, North Hollywood, that organized. One of the reasons being that one of the folk gals who worked there was an Equity actor in like, you know, like the other part of her career. And then just this year, uh, they also had an organizing drive, a successful one that got recognized up at the basement, which is an escape room up in Silmar and is one of like the oldest escape rooms in the United States. And this is a kind of categorical shift in terms of kind of how equity's done business over all the years. And and yeah, Sabina, you, you touched on something big there because acting in this or, or being like a creative operator, as they talk about it in Meow Wolf, it, it, it's a bit more. Uh, maybe maybe expound on that a little bit, like what, what you're talking about there in terms of like you know, what, what they're grappling with and what they're trying to get into. I think, you know, for me, it kind of was very apparent as maybe one of the things that, 
could be behind the reasons that we're not seeing Star Cruiser go any further. And as someone who got to experience it uh, with a theater background, I went to school for uh, directing and theater before I dropped out of college <laughs> to be a part of this industry. Um, that like, you know, you have talent being, you know, hired as talent as actors, but you also have them here playing a camp counselor role in, in that, like, they are taking on so much of a guest sort of like experience in coming into something like the Halcyon and the, the emotional, like cathartic moments they're, they're doing that, you know, kind of border on therapeutic in a way that I'm not sure kind of like blurs the lines with um, what an actor should be equipped to do. And, you know, everyone on there was so incredible and, you know, did express, uh, you know, we've had various folks who were a part of it who did express that um, going to bed with the thoughts of so-and-so's memory of their grandparent or why they were on the trip to begin with did kind of like weigh emotionally on them. And it's sort of like uh, you, you kind of have to wonder if they're being fairly treated for the stuff that they're taking on and not just seen just as actors and, doing so much more than what an actor is expected to do. I guess, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And like, and that's, I think one of the things when, when the conversation, particularly on star cruiser turned out like, well, like, you know, like it's so expensive or is this that, you know, the other thing, there's this dimension to it when people are outside of immersive and they don't know that that's part of what happens in one of these pieces or can, particularly if something's long or it has these, like these kind of heart to heart moments that happen between folks, there is, there's a real value in that there's there is a you know if, if, if someone was a therapist they'd be paid a lot more than they are as an actor or even someone who's like the equivalent is like you know going to a spa right like you're, you're paying a lot of money for that kind of focused attention and outside of it we were just think well it's dinner theater right i mean like how how rich could this be how, how much could i actually get out of it it turns out you can get out a lot but there is that question of, you know, like, are, are the, are the people being paid properly when a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to spend more than $75 on this, not knowing, you know, before they've been through like how much they might actually want to throw down. Having seen people go to some shows like five, six times, or even Star Cruiser, I know someone went nine times, which is, that's a lot of money. Uh, it gets, it racks up real quickly uh, when the price tag, you know, starts heading into like, you know, mid three figures and, and above Scott switching maybe in, in an entirely different mode. Although also note you were a theater major as well. If memory serves. I was yeah. Theater grad school. It was uh, in the long distant past of San Diego. Nice. Uh, you get to cover the tech side of immersive a lot. So what's, what's standing out in that world this year? This was a big year looking back as I was kind of taking notes and thinking about what to talk about on things that I looked at and the things that specifically I was looking at for my for my job. I mean, um, I, I never saw Meow Wolf before. And so this was my year of Meow Wolf. I, I went to three I went to three of their uh, locations. <laughs> you know, I was, I was the only one I haven't done now is Santa Fe. But I went to the opening of Grapevine, too, in the summer. And then I looked i finished the year looking at their um walkabout vr mini golf um course so it kind of went right into the headset and right into what i cover 
but but what Meow Wolf does really been on my mind in terms of the creative thought process of what we're going to be doing in these spaces. Things that we were talking about with things like the metaverse, and then everyone was laughing about the metaverse, then it blew up. But I think the echoes of what that was are this is the aftershock. Like this is the period where this things are going to actually start happening, but no one will be calling it that. Um, and so like tech wise book ended by PlayStation VR two at the beginning of the year quest three at the end of the year and getting to demo Apple's vision pro several times, um, in very limited capacity. This is about as much as we've had since 2016, and maybe it's been it's on a greater scale and playing around with things like Meta's uh, glasses, which have some um, AI capabilities now in an experimental phase at the end of the year, which are dribbling into all sorts of other interesting questions. But it made me think about immersive audio and things that I'd seen um, uh, in theatrical and in pre and during pandemic experiences, raising all sorts of questions about interactivity. But I think that to, to kind of bring this down to earth a bit, like um, I the, the piece I'm writing where that I'm kind of thinking about has been sort of settling on function. I think that as I started thinking about it, like what makes this period different, um, I thought of, uh, there was a personal thing for me where I got out of, I was hospitalized in October for um, blood pressure things where I, I have a, a arterial damage and all of a sudden I was like, I have to get really healthy now. And um friend recommended that I get into VR fitness, which was kind of funny because it's like, yeah, I know about VR, but, um, but what was cool was that they were like, oh yeah, I use Supernatural. I got a quest two for my birthday. You should get into it. And it kind of reminded me of the early days of smartwatches, you know, like mm. where it, when things cross over in tech where you go, I talk about this stuff a lot. I don't expect people using it. And I'm like, oh, people are really using it. And we've been there with games already. People have VR headsets. But I just think there's a familiarity with it now that I keep forgetting about. And so as I was as I, I was using it to get healthy, but I was also thinking about people who have been using it, just taking it as a given. You think about the things that people are using and they're very functional. So it's like fitness. There's a real tangible thing. Gaming, there's a real tangible thing. And there's a magic to immersive but I do think we're getting to a point where going forward in the tech side, I think there's a need to carve out what the functions will be beyond this. Some of that sounds kind of boring, but I think that's exactly what Apple is looking at is yeah. kind of the functional and we'll say boring, but you know, their function is to have it work like a normal computer or to work like a very high end headset, a uh, very high end display. Um, and I'm sure the, immer I'm curious how the immersive things work out. You know, the industry seems to be looking at it with a lot of interest but the Quest 3 is already dabbling in that. I think that this will probably create the final throughput we've talked about for years where like phones and apps we use will finally work with the headsets in a normal way. And that meaning that if somebody wants to make an app that launches in it or there's an experience that hopefully these things are a little more shareable, but I'm sure they'll still be some app store lockdowns and all sorts of weird battles. But I think that will enable more things to be flexibly developed. Um, I don't know, because the Quest already has a very vibrant app lab. Um, but, I'm, but I'm hoping it breaks through to more functions and more thinking and more ideas. I think on that tech side, it got a bit calcified. 
I think that there are some stuff that was like gaming needs to be like this in VR. And, you know, the, and I saw genres repeating themselves. And I think it might get to a back of more of a questioning nature, I hope. And then I still think of immersive theater when I do get to see it every once in a while. I mean, I saw Meow Wolf stuff and I saw um, uh, Psychic Self-Defense at Hero Art Center, which um, was fantastic. And this really dreamy little like world within a world. And um, so here lies love um, here. And like, I, I think that those moments still seem really much more magical to me. And so I, I think that um, tech has its work cut out for it in, to me, kind of um, translating that. And I'm curious where, again, to go back to Meow Wolf, I think artists that are tr talking with Katie Kennedy and talking with some, it's about that process. It was interesting to hear about trying to think about ways that artists might be working to in formats they already know and beginning to collaboratively develop for those immersive VR spaces in ways that could feel organic to what they're doing now. And I don't know what that is, but I'm very curious about it. And I don't want to speak on anyone's behalf, but I think that's, that does feel new and different. Um, yeah. I think when I, when I got a chance to talk to Katie, you know, she was talking about going back to the roots of like Meow Wolf being like group shows and how like that, the, the walkabout had a bit of that element to it, like who the collaborators were. And, you know, there's already a lot of tools native into, you know, you know some of the sketching tools and the, and the sculpting tools, you know, are native in VR, but like people aren't necessarily making VR inside of VR. And yet as soon as something like that sculpturally can happen on the regular, like we, I think we could see more of that kind of collaboration going on. Sabina, I noted you popped when, when uh, Scott brought up Meow Wolf. So was this was this also your first round of year? Or had you been to Meow Wolf before this year, or or you caught a few things at least? I have been to Meow Wolf for the past, I would say, few years. Um, kind of. <laughs> I went to the Santa Fe location um, on a road trip from Texas to LA with my husband, and we got caught in a snowstorm because we stayed at Meow Wolf too long. <laughs> <laughs> so that was very memorable and incredible. But I am all in on Meow Wolf. I think it's such an incredible experience. Um, I will like this isn't shade in any way, but I did, you know, kind of hope that parts of Star Cruiser would have aspects like Meow Wolf, like maybe some pods that were more tactical and immersive visually. I uh, personally, while I love the acting in Star Cruiser and that aspect of storytelling and participatory entertainment, I did find the building itself to be very minimalist. Um, but I'm just in love with all the environments in Meow Wolf. My favorite one is definitely Convergence Station in, in Denver, which I went to, I think, in 2021. I want to say, because it was after lockdown. And then I frequent Omega Mart every time I go to Vegas, which I have family down there and I'm, I'm going for the holidays. But yes, uh, I am. I I just love the experience of it. And I'm sure we could all just geek out over that for sure. Oh, yeah. And then one of the one of the joys, uh, I mean, you know, we had them on the show not too long ago, uh, you know, the, that walkabout they did is like a slice of Convergence Station. So it's like, the, the Numina Swamp. Uh, and it's just, it's fun to see them finally start to kind of get to be more than just these like, you know, giant, beautiful, fun roadside attractions in these like, you know, sort of Southwest 
cities and, and you know western cities and start to become something that's you know, bleeding out into the larger pop culture um, definitely and, and just the way that they you know nurture the art scene in every city that they're at by collaboration and just making the community so much better is is incredible and i admire that yeah yeah it's i i, I love the whole oh sorry i was going to say that like yeah I, i'm fascinated how the artists work together and like talking to a few artists when i was at grapevine like it was interesting about the freedom and the structure and then like when i wrote the piece at the beginning of the year thinking about meow wolf like that the metaverse thing that was t- that was kind of perking in my head was that whole thing about uh how they can do that and allow that to be collaborative but but in a structure but also how people can kind of do whatever they want in those spaces so you know look at a phone or a gauge and it doesn't seem to get in the way and i'm kind of admiring how people are on multiple wavelengths anyway that's all sorry yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think that's, that is the sort of the secret sauce for that space is that people can be there on multiple wavelengths and any given room might have kind of a key axis of uh, interaction, like a thing that the room really wants you to do. But usually the room will support a couple of other different modes of, of being in there, right? Whether that's just like watching someone play with a big thing, you know, and then like activate it or interacting with a performer at like Convergence Station or just, like most people do taking videos all day long, just like, Oh, this cool thing. Can you turning to another tourist and be like, well, can you get a picture of me and my friend in the big chair? You know? And then you're just making, making social out of it, which is, which is a lot of fun. Todd, uh, you've done a lot of coverage this year. You broke the Luna Luna story uh, for everyone and, and, and broke everyone's brains. I'll, I'll get you to describe what that is in a second, but uh, maybe that stood out or what else might've stood out and didn't, didn't Super Mario world open in, Universal, that was this year too, right? So, yeah, was, it's been a really busy year. Jeez. Um, yeah, on the theme park side, um, Super Nintendo World, yeah, that was uh opened at the beginning of the year. It seems like forever ago now, but um, that was definitely sort of the highlight in terms of what I sort of cover, which is a lot of merging of like gaming and play and immersive, um, and how they were able to create, create an entire space that is all focused on guest interaction and participation and leaning into the space um i thought it was the most sort of fully realized game space in a theme park um and then obviously the ar goggles on the ar implementation on the uh, mario kart attraction um which is sort of an interesting attraction and we could get into the weeds in it but it's it's one of those attractions that like the first time you do it you're just kind of overwhelmed with imagery and you're over you don't know where to look whether you should be focusing on the creation the dark ride creation aspects of it or the video gaming aspects of it, but I think it's a ride that gets better the more you do it. Um, if you have that privilege or luxury um, and you go on it two or three times, then it starts to really sort of click with you. Um, but yeah, it's been sort of like a year of two halves because um, like other folks here, I'm heavily interested in Meow Wolf um, and went down to Grapevine and covered that. And almost saw that as a way of Meow Wolf sort of thinking about future sustainability um, in, in the sense that it calls back to the House of Eternal Return quite a bit. Mm. Um, you know, and it sort of pivots a little bit from what they did in Las Vegas and Denver and gets back a little bit to like Meow Wolf roots. So I'm definitely curious to see what they have cooking for Houston and wherever they go from there. Um, you know, and but over the last like month or two, um, yes, Luna Luna is incredibly exciting. That's an amusement park here in LA. Um, museum park art ex- exhibition here in LA and happy to talk about that. But I've also heard just from a lot of people in the immersive theme park space uh, a lot, let me say four or five, um, just sort of like asking me what's, 
what's going on because it seems like sort of we're in a transitional period as well. Um, I know next year in, in the theme park space, there's not going to be a ton of new stuff. Um, Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And we've got Universal's Epic Universe in 2025. Um, but it seems like we've had some high profile projects closing or coming to an end this year or early next year. Um, and it seems like there's a little less investment in the marketing side of investment, immersive events is sort of what I've been hearing a little bit. So um, it seems a little bit like it's a transitional sort of period of how is this going to look in the next year or two? And it may look a little bit different than what we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, so I don't know if I said anything that is interesting or worth jumping out on, but yeah, everything from Super Nintendo World and Yawa to um, Luna Luna immersive stuff, yeah. Well, well, on this idea, I mean, this is the thing that's kind of been, I've been curious about on the theme park side of this. And, and I know, Sabina, you, you cover this, this beat as well. Like, at a certain point, you could only open so many attractions in a given five-year mm-hmm. span, right? And, like, there is a little bit of the rhythm in, in like, the smaller parks would be like, oh, now, now this one's got this roller coaster. And now there's another roller coaster happening. Like, you know, now this one's in Ohio. And now there's one in Texas. And, like... But like we've been to this weird period of like the past decade where there have been these you know, Disneyland's and California Adventure have added major new lands. Absolutely. And and now so is Universal. And there's a little bit of like they've run out of room, right? You gotta tear some stuff <laughs> down now before you're gonna put anything else. I mean, I mean, Tiana's is a refit, right? So yeah. and there've just been so many things at Disney in the past decade it makes your head spin. So part of me was always like, there had to have been a lull at some point. Cause you can't keep doing this forever. You can't keep building infinitely, no matter how much the guys in Silicon Valley think that you can. No, um, you can't. Um, and, and I will give Disney credit. Um, they opened a small project here, not small comparatively to galaxy's edge, but a small project late this year, the Adventureland Treehouse. They redid that. Um, it was the Tarzan Treehouse before. And, um, it's a walkthrough attraction and it's quite, it's really well done. And it is very sort of much more interactive in terms of each room has a lot of kinetic energy. Each room has a lot of movement. There's a number of audio animatronics throughout the space. Um, and yeah, overseas they have um, Zootopia in Shanghai and uh, Frozen in Hong Kong as well. And, and I know they announced a 60 billion, I believe, investment over the next 10 years in theme parks. So it doesn't seem like theme parks are going to be uh, quiet that space it just sort of seems like we're we're hitting a, a momentary momentary wall until like stuff gets built again which as you said I, I think it makes total sense yeah i think what's really interesting is when theme parks begin to work with outside collectives i've been visiting area 15 like for most of this year for various uh events that they've put on and when they announced the universal studios halloween horror nights um expansion there the year-round thing um i was very much intrigued by the concept that this is a space that is planned to constantly rotate different ips so i love that it's a potential testing ground for that and honestly if i think about the dreamworks theater at universal studios hollywood i'm just surprised that they haven't rotated in a different show you know like there's the potential for that as well and i think universal might be as as many times before, the first to kind of really like jump into that realm of let's see how this goes, um, because Area 15 is definitely like 
not your like traditional Vegas scene because it's not a casino complex in any way. There's no gambling, but there are spaces like Lost Spirits Distillery where you're kind of like roaming around an old, um, you know, like Victorian like seaside port, but also drinking rum all over the place and encountering sideshow acts or burlesque or comedy or even jazz singing in these like little, you know, storybook-esque like spaces and then you have omega mart which is that tactile art immersive feel um and there's the different like areas they have in there as well like i think i'm checking out this weekend their immersive screening of nightmare before christmas for christmas that i'm looking forward to doing because it has kind of like a little something for everyone i even did one of their music festivals that was like a costumed summer ball it was incredibly grossly hot but (laughs) yeah (laughs) Why did you go to Vegas in the summer for a music fest? Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it, was like fall. it was fall, but it felt like summer, but you know, okay. summer lasts in Vegas until October. So <laughs> yeah, I think right. it was only in September that I went and it just, I just, Ooh. it felt like, summer, so I thought it was summer. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Summer in Vegas is like nine months out of the year. So, and then it's just dead cold. Um, but yeah, like everything has so much planned with different, experiences they want to cater to in dining and dancing and music in venues that um makes me excited for like some of these bigger ip and franchises to kind of like collaborate in those sort of satellite spaces as you would call them yeah i love um you know i remember seeing area 15 before it opened and then the pandemic happened and then i didn't get a chance to visit until just last year and um, I don't know when I'll get back again. And I love the model of it. I agree with you. Like it's, uh, it got me really excited to think about those, like a little cluster of stuff. It was kind of like in a good way, like a, like a, a mall for the immersive and like, you know, that's, that's Vegas, but like, I want to see, like, I'm hoping next year will be my big year of Disney where I still haven't been to, uh, I still haven't been to galaxy's edge, you know? Um, and it, I'm sad about that, but I'm going to try to knock them all out next year on the both coasts but that but the thing is like those trips don't happen that often and i would love to see more i hope to see middle immersive stuff that's like centers more locally that could be hopefully you know these like rotating mixes of stuff um you know i don't know if that could be sustainable and then i i've been obsessed with the idea of like micro immersive just things that like you know i look at my town or i I think about like what Tribeca and those arts groups, you know, like there was these little pop-up things that happened. And then I think like escape rooms, I guess were like that, but I still think throughout the pandemic and now in the town I live in, I think, wow, just things are not happening at a hyper local level. And then I go, why? Like there's tech, there's theaters, there's improv, there's, where is this? And then it's like, there's still a journey, but I like, when do we get there? I know like, um, Niantic had been exploring thoughts of that, but then a lot of that's well, those initiatives seem to have kind of folded up a bit. But I I think I hope that there's more for that, especially as the costs of things get difficult. That I wonder like if theater can operate or smaller theaters can operate, then why can't these little initiatives kind of happen, especially if they're local artists? Yeah, I mean part of the factor is like there are fewer artists who are sort of initiated into this practice than 
than you might think, right? I mean, even think of a scene like Los Angeles where there's a fairly decent rhythm of immersive theater shows, right? Like in, in any given year, you know, you'll have the Halloween season. And so like you'll have something like the Willows going up and then you'll have like some activations happening at, at Christmas time. And then you'll have, you know, Comic-Con happen and you might have a few indie shows in the spring and like maybe a few things hit in around Hollywood Fringe. And then maybe someone tries like a, a bigger form show. You'll often see the same actors, like, you know, in multiple shows or shared between these different shows or they're popping up again and again. Like a lot of these people have become my friends over the years. And it's it's always kind of exciting when some new blood is brought in just because like, it's like oh, it's a face I don't know. And it's and it becomes like, like, you know, instead of pretending that, you know, an actor, you know, is someone, you know, a character from another show, suddenly you can just completely project onto this new actor that they are really that person and get lost in it again. Um not something that's so much a thing always with me, but I've heard people on the scene be like, oh, I, I need to see new actors because I can't keep pretending that so-and-so is someone new every time I, I, I meet them in, in a dark bar. But like beyond that, it means there aren't a lot of people who are practicing this and who aren't being trained into it and it isn't necessarily reaching out into smaller places. And that's something that one of the things that kind of broke my heart about this year in terms of the things that have closed is that each of those sort of large kind of machines, these kind of corporate machines, they were doing it or, or like Broadway machines, they were training people, you know, in, in the various ways of being an immersive performer and folks for, for Sabina Farrell, you were talking about of like how much gets put upon people, like maybe in those moments, also actors, completely like love doing this kind of work or right? like some go like, this is not for me. Others are like, I just gotta, I just gotta get back into it. Right. Like, cause they want that, the, the rawness of, of, of where the moment might take them. And the virtuous cycle that was starting up was that there were going to be more people getting professionally trained to do the work who then might cycle out and fall in love with the form and then start practicing it on their own and, and taking it back to their hometowns. And so that cycle has been interrupted a bit, but you still see, but, but not fully because some of those folks from, you know, star cruiser have like gone back to new England or are coming out to Los Angeles or they're going back to New York and they're taking what they, they learned and like then, and sharing it or the folks who are, you know, have been mostly working in Los Angeles now working in Southern California or there's stuff that's been transferred over to Denver and the folks are at, a, you know, Convergence Station doing some of the stuff there. They're spilling out a Convergence Station and trying stuff on their own. But it, it, it all happens at a human time scale as opposed to like a corporate Silicon Valley, you know, time scale where it's like, oh, something works. Let's flood it with money and, and just stamp it out infinitely because we'll just turn a few servers on. And it's like, well, you, you can't just turn a few servers on and, and suddenly have, you know, a thousand actors, uh, you know, trained in the art of immersive, you know, I don't know. Sorry. I just went on a rant. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm in it. No, I, I totally agree. And I think it kind of goes back to the question of like, will theater be sustainable, you know, because of all these different elements. I like to think that, you know, I mean, not that I like to think this, but you know, if you think about certain, uh, post-apocalyptic shows or franchises like hunger games or station 11 there is yes there's always this idea that theater will go on no matter what you know like sure we have a lot of social media stuff right now content creators and films and franchises but at the end of the day 
no matter what happens in the world at large with how everything is going, I would love to hope and think that theater will still be traveling in whatever ways that it can. Specifically, if you think about Station Eleven and their their Shakespeare performances of things, I I miss that show. <laughs> oh, it was amazing, and the book, yeah. Well, I, go for yeah, it. I think it's. Oh yeah, I I agree. Like I've been thinking about this a lot. Like the core elements, like like theater can 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 and should work on like nothingness, you know and. I think that a lot of times the costs, well, people who need obviously need to be compensated, but also production costs and, and building things out and, you know, impressing and, and installations and, and who knows what. But I think that, um, I don't know, I've read a lot of books this year about like design and theater, like, you know, kind of peppering them in things I hadn't read before, like Peter Brooks, The Empty Space and like things that you're mm-hmm. recommending, you know, on your site too that i've had for like 20 years or like um hyper reality you know the the the, um, curtis sigman is all about vr but it's but um uh, abraham bergson's uh um experience design manifesto that came out which was interesting like i got to the point of like thinking about like what an experience is either in tech or anywhere else and like re-questioning that i don't know i kind of get into this like fundamental like i guess what i'm saying this sounds like very heady but like i I think like immersive everywhere started also becoming a lot more like um, genreified, you know, like it got to the point where like things are being built more and more elaborately and trying to be like what we think the immersive genre, like indie games mm. is. And yeah. I feel like it, those don't all need to be like that either. So I feel like, and I've only seen a tiny sliver of things, but I hope the nature of like what immersive is just keeps being explored much more open, like blowing it wide open and just kind of like uh, thinking about what you can do on a really tiny scale or what you could do on a really intimate scale or like what a, um, I'm really speaking on behalf of things that I may not have a full grasp of. So I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, people no. get, no, no, get no, pissed no, at me, but I think, but yes, you know, that I think about that because, I really hope and think it could survive. And I, but I also don't, I agree. I don't want like in the app store world, I think about all these headsets coming and it's like, I want experimentation, but I don't want the, the, the rush. I don't want the app store rush either for everyone to start dumping stuff on the headsets and, and then not letting it grow. Well, and, and you sometimes you get this like flood and people like flood a market because they think there's money to be made there. And then they make a lot of, they, they copy a lot of stuff. They make a lot of garbage. I mean, look, when when the first Van Gogh projection show was a hit, like in Paris, and then they decided to tour it, next thing you know, there was like 20 Van Gogh projection shows like like popping up and like two or three in a given city. No one knew which one to do. Like, which one did they go? People like complaining to like the Better Business Bureau about some of them or like, you know, thinking they had bought tickets for this one. They really bought tickets for that one. And like, you'd see that happen over and over and over again, market to market. And on one level, you got to laugh on another level, you know, you get this pressure of the business side. And then Sabina, to your point, like about station 11 and, and, and stories like that remind us that humans make culture. Like that's what we do. Like we're in a, we're in a society where you, you have to make money. Um, and, and so much of it is bent around whether or not something's profitable. And yet the hum- most human instinct is just make stuff for the sake of making stuff and sharing it 
and entertaining your friends, entertaining your family, making more friends, making more family by, by the doing of it. And, and someone's just, you know, stuck a couple of wires into it or finding ways to extract cash out of it. Right. And there's a level to immersive as like a folk practice, the way like, you know, there are folk games or folk songs where when the knowledge, and that's why I guess what the point I was trying to make and then butchering it, like about like, oh, oh, like people go to Star Cruiser and, you know, all the people train there. Like when the knowledge gets out far enough, we will just spontaneously see these things appear, right? Like D&D and role-playing games would not be nearly as popular as they are right now if it wasn't for the 40 years, 50 years worth of, you know, nerds in basements and at the back of like game stores playing until finally there was enough people who knew how to play that it could become its own thing. Um, but like Silicon, you know, a venture capital is never going to look at that kind of scenario and be like, well, this is worth dumping a bunch of cash onto. So maybe that's the thing that protects us from Scott, your too much of a glut scenario. Although we, we have seen the glut scenarios with like the, the projection mapping stuff, because that stuff's easy to scale Buy a Panasonic yeah. projector, find a warehouse, toss the same show up. We're good to go. Right. And, and then, <laughs> A meaningful art should also have lots of money thrown at it. <laughs> oh, I do not disagree, right? You know? I mean, like, right? those are part of the hopes that Disney will hopefully kind of, like, rethink or reimagine Star Cruiser-like experiences on a smaller scale. But who knows? <laughs> I mean, with that one, right, like... That I don't keep on feeling like this giant marketing fail or this idea that it would sell itself, right? And and so so many of the things in the park sell themselves. Hey, we just redid Splash Mountain. Okay, well, some people are really excited and some people are going to be racist about it and not be really excited, but they'll go they'll go hate go. They'll buy a ticket just to hate ride it, right? You know, like Bob wins again. But like um, something like Star Cruiser where even after it closed, people were like, well, I just don't understand what it was. And then friends who had gone explained it. And they're like, you mean I'm never going to get to go to this thing? You, you just explained it to me. And now I know. And it's all I want to do. Um, and that was something that I guess marketing wasn't ready, ready to, to do smartly. Right. Like it's, it's, it is hard to like, how do you market an experience when, when it's, it's not just, well, you're going to see this and you're going to, you're going to hear this. It's like, well, you're going to do this. Games do that, but usually yeah. games are sold through visuals, right? Like we see the hot gameplay and we see the cool like cinematic, like, even the biggest games in the world. It's all just these cinematic trailers. And it's like, oh, it looks really cool, right? Like we only know how to sell things through visuals in, in this culture. I hope it's something like, I'm sort of surprised that it hasn't already happened, but like, I, I would I want to do like Star Cruiser for like three hours. You know, I want to do like which essentially would be like Disney's Sleep No More, you know, S Star Wars, you know, like like can't they just make like tickets for like three hour blocks that like, you know, kind of like I mean, they already have the immersive meals with, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast and these other things where you're kind of there for a session. And then even I haven't been to Rise of the Resistance, but like um it sounds like a kind of a blend, like you're, you're in a kind of an experience. So I, I feel like that's what I, I want. 
I, yeah, like, I, I love the idea of being bubbled, but yeah. Yeah. The closest thing we have to that, I would say, is the lightsaber building at Savi's, where it is a session and it is a story session as you go along and put your lightsaber together. Yeah. And they'll yeah. charge you 200 bucks for that, like, and you get the you get the souvenir out of it, right? So, like, you know, you, you work the math and you're kind of like, well, it's kind of like $150 for the lightsaber and 50 bucks for the 20-minute show, right? You know, uh, and the show is a varying quality based on, like, which cast member you got that day, right? Like, is it the well, disaffected like, teenager? That show led into the lightsaber training that was on the Star Cruiser. I mean, I keep on thinking about like, you know, if they had the original plan, I guess, was to have like the dinner theater up behind Oga's. And I'm like, what if what if there was like that a three hour loop that you could have bought? But I think I think Disney in particular, I think, is is allergic to the idea of. A premium ticket experience inside the park that other that people are getting, like, I, I can't imagine you could skate that puck past much of a much of Imagineering. Uh, and maybe even some of the business people, because creating haves and have-nots inside the park is a little bit radioactive. Uh, even I mean, though they that do exp- have Club Thirty, they have Club Thirty Three, which true, yeah, you true. know, is kind of a really glaring example of that. You know, where there's this incredibly premium experience that only a select few people can do, but it's it's already built in. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it's it's got the legacy to it. Although that's 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 a good point, and also is right in line with every time I'm trying to like argue this with with folks who are like outside, like, well, the throughput's just not enough. I just always sit down and say, like, does anyone complain that the throughput's not enough at Spago at Nobu? No, you just dump a right. bunch of money. I never have, right? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have enough money to go to Nobu or Spago, but like, no one bats an eyelash, right? And and the level of care and level of attention, like the full sort of service, like, you know, the being seen is a, is a key part of, of what people who go to immersive get out of it. And, and people will pay for that. I've watched people pay absurd amounts of money for that, you know, um, in the form of like going to see stuff over and over again, Scott. Yeah. At least it would get to like a concert, um, like a concert Broadway ticket price threshold versus the like, cruise cruise price threshold you know i feel like yeah i feel like the you know the galaxies uh you know who knows but if they were to have an experience like that like people pay like to go see like a fancy broadway show or like a concert like i feel like maybe it's like on that level i have no idea i i'm just kind of spitballing but it's like i if i were going on like a one-time trip i'm thinking it might be okay i would do that but then the star cruiser looked amazing but i was always like when would i ever have the ability to, you know, to, yeah. to pay for those two nights to do it. Like that would have been a total bucket list thing to do, which I really am sad to have missed. But that yeah. actually takes me back to my, I, I did my first trip with club 33 this year and I spent about, I want to say between 500 and $700 on Whoa. that, you know, well, it was myself and my husband. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, but still, yeah. But still, yeah, and it, but it but it was one of those where it's like you know we're not going to do this often. It might be a once in a lifetime thing, <laughs> you know. Um, but it was like I could see people doing that for something Star Wars or Marvel specific in the yeah. parks, for sure. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that you know, I mean, who knows if, what alternate 
past, you know, might have happened if they had done it. But I think the takeaway lesson for me is that, and, and this is even when I like talk to folks in the performing arts industry about like, you know, how immersive can fit into what they do. I make the point of saying this isn't a magic bullet and like you still have to market this stuff, right? You still have to explain to people what it is because once you get them in the door, you will get them attached. Like one of the most fascinating things for me this year, aside from getting to go to Star Cruiser, was watching that accelerated timeline once they announced it was going to close of how the fan culture of the Star Cruiser just completely evolved overnight, became this really intense thing and created its own identity, like in the span of like three months. And at that point with, you know, the 18 months before or the the 15 months before it is kind of like the baseline for it. But it just made me realize that if this thing had had a long enough runway, you would have gotten to the point where that fan culture would have occurred and you would have had people who did, you know, annual or biannual trips with a friend set to like go touch that experience again or introduce new people to it or get everybody from you know the friends they made on board like you do in a cruise and be like hey let's all let's go do this again right try to recapture the magic built-in nostalgia factor and they just didn't give it enough time to run um i want to move us forward a little bit we've been at this for for a hot second uh which is always my fault um, I, I'm down here in Immersive Gulch all day, all night, and panning, looking for gold, but all of you have bigger, broader audiences and beats, right? You know, major metropolitan newspapers, you know, science fiction, fantasy blog, like leading, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like I refresh that thing like three times a day still. Like it's an old habit from the early <laughs> blogging days. It's like, oh, if I'm on the internet, I'm refreshing io9. Um, that was like half a Yoda. I apologize. Uh, and, and Scott with like CNET, which is, you know, been around as long as the internet's existed, I think at this point. Um, how does this stuff fit in? How does it land with the wider world? Right. Like I don't always have a great sense of whether or not people care beyond these wacky little niches we're in. I think there's sort of two sides to it. I mean, I think here in LA, we get a lot of immersive events. And when I talked about this being a transitional sort of year, I think part of that was due to the the strikes. Um, A lot of Mm. immersive events did not happen because of the strikes because they were marketing tie-ins. And here in LA, a lot of sort of immersive stuff comes out of the marketing budget. So I think, you know, um, some friends of mine that would normally have work in that period, you know, didn't. Um, You know, and it's sort of, but that sort of stuff we probably wouldn't cover because it's just considered uh, marketing. Um, But I'm also like really curious about like what's going to happen with, with like stuff like a, with continued expansion of like theme parks and continued like leaning into participatory experiences, but also just sort of, you know, how many people are going to go to the sphere in Las Vegas, which bills itself as a quote unquote immersive venue. Um, and it's sort of like the Van Gogh experience times 800 million, um, just in terms of like projections and what those projections can do in terms of creating illusions, you know? So I do think that's going to create, you know, different sort of expectations among audiences when you use the word immersive, um, you know, but it, it's tough, like a small theater story. It's tough to, to do that kind of stuff at the LA times, even at the LA times, even if it's local, 
you know, because, uh, yeah, I mean, we are a business and we are based on clicks and we are based on readership and, um, immersive stuff. Sometimes it runs for like two weeks and then it's hard to do a story if something's going to run for two weeks, you know, it's not uh, evergreen, you know, so it is sort of a, a challenge, um, about the whole sort of space. I don't know if I'm, I'm making any sense, but yeah. No, it does. I mean, it's, it's definitely hard to skate it past, you know, the editors, I think on some of this stuff, which is, which is, well, but like, I mean, does what you, you guys get to skate it once in a while you do manage to skate the puck past. I don't know. I'm using hockey metaphors tonight. I'm not a hockey guy, but it's happening. Uh, and you get that goal in there, but uh, does it, does it then resonate? Like are people, are people reading the articles about the haunt scene in LA when they're on IO9? Are people reading the articles about, you know, the Meow Wolf course? Are, are, did, did people, you know, click through on the Ministry of Peculiarities piece that you did, Todd? Or is this stuff landing out there and we all see it in this side, go like, oh, wow, look, they're talking about us. And then it's just like crickets, unless it's like Disney or Punch Drunk, which I can tell you on my end, if I put Disney or Punch Drunk, boom spike right you know easy peasy right but like are they reading do they care does anyone give a shit except us are we just fighting a weird little lonely fight and just need to keep on fighting it for a while what's happening i always joke joke that if i if i write about like a a new churro at disneyland it gets you know hundreds of thousands of clicks and readers do they invent a new churro what kind of churro like i I just made that up off the top of my head but like um, yeah, the mystery of peculiarities, they're an amazing escape room here in Los Angeles. Um, that story did pretty well for us actually. And I was like relieved and, you know, that sort of gave us a little bit of motivation of let's, you know, maybe sort of look into the space a little bit more, um, you know, but they also have a very strong hook in that, you know, they use some actors. Um, it's very, it's more story based than it is escape room based. So it, it lended itself to like a journalistic narrative piece very well. Yeah. So it's always a battle. Like, I think it's a battle that must always be fought and that um, it's part of the nature of, I mean, it depends what we're talking about. For me, we're a tech website, you know, largely. We've had culture in the past and we've had some culture stories too, but, um, you know, I pick my battles. I, I try to look at a lot of things and fold them in, make them either slightly extracurricular for my beat or tendrils for them because I think all things feed all things and then, you, you know, I believe this anyhow, that the more things you see, the more little points you lay out, they're going to, they're going to enhance your picture of what's going on for the reader, for yourself. Um, so, you know, obviously Apple vision pro, everyone's going to want to hear about a new Apple product or whatever. And then meta gets a lot of interest. PlayStation gets a tremendous amount of interest. Those types of products emerging, of course, you know, they have traction of their own, but Littler players in tech are doing all sorts of things all the time. A lot of them I miss, but sometimes I try to loop in and, and see them and they'll predict what's coming and they inform it and laying the groundwork for mm. that is part of um, what I hope is a, is a journey for me and for the reader. And I go, this needs to exist. Um, and I also think it's for the tech companies. I think they are become aware of these trends as they, through the coverage, but I also think that journey is happening with the the creative side. And so I think it's so important because sure, I love looking at, at pieces, but I also like th- thinking about how it informs the, the communication, especially for the Meow Wolf type stuff this year was interesting because 
it just kind of happenstance dovetailed with where they were already going with the VR course. And like, you know, like these things have already been thinking about, uh, people have been thinking about this for a while and like, or, and how Disney or ILM have been thinking about like star Wars tales for the galaxy's edge, or like these are to me, the thinking is the most interesting part because it's like any of these big tech companies, anyhow, meta, Apple, whatever they lean on, they champion the works of the developers and the apps, you know, look what you can do you do this stuff and so the people who are thinking in it are figuring out what to do with the tech the tech is just a tool and so like apple's headset is just a, a, a big piece of really cool tech that you know needs the developers so the developers or the the creators um are everything unfortunately it's true like you know it, there's also a parallel where like you know you have trips to things you can't always see but then that's also true in tech. You know, sometimes I'll go to a lab that nobody's going to visit or you mm. try a headset that's enterprise that nobody's going to wear or Vario XR3 or people are ever going to try that. And so I kind of, I think experiential storytelling becomes this weird thing of like, it's a little bit like, oh, I got to test drive something and you didn't. But I hope to communicate that in a way that's helpful. And then what's interesting with tech is that when you get to new tech, there's a handoff journey. You know, it's like experiential early reviews. And then it's like the smartwatch. You start telling what the smartwatch is like. And then sooner or later, everyone's like, I know what a smartwatch is like. I've got one. Thanks. I don't, you know, you don't need to tell me that. And then it's grown up. And then you're like, then you're talking about, okay, which one to get? So I think it's interesting too, because then with VR, I'm seeing that there's a journey where some people have already been on the journey because they're at home. And they go, yeah, I know what these things are, but I want to see what else there is and, and learn more. But I think that's where the, my beat has a little bit of that there's some of its journey and some of it's already at home and about discovering what you can do. So I think it, it is interesting, but I do fight. I don't know how the meow wolf one did. I'm very bad at checking traffic performance on things. Like who's I'm, like kind of engaging and, and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Ionine is a weird one <laughs> because, you know, we are a niche within this umbrella that is, you know, mostly tech and, we kind of, I feel like we're a little spaceship that kind of has a pod of us who do different things. We had an incredible colleague this year, Linda Codega, who had a huge impact in the tabletop world this past year with their coverage of some of the things that were going on at various companies. And I feel like a silly little, like, <laughs> like in my pod where, you know, I think some of the things that did wildly for me were the DeSantis and Disney, um, battle <laughs> where you know talking about that's been interesting because i had never done reporting on you know lawsuits like that before but it had dipped into our world of theme parks so i kind of you know put my professional cap on in that regard and, and hope people stick around for the silly things like pickle milkshakes um because like some of that seems to resonate a lot you know it's a strange place to be in because my interest in coming into io9 was definitely from a themed entertainment perspective as someone who loves to go to places but they you know like doing adult things like going to the beach and like vacations like that or going to vegas and gambling never quite appealed to me and i was always like i feel like there's more people like this who would want to go to these places but would also want to find other things to do um 
and kind of like engage with an audience in that regard who loves Star Wars or who loves Lord of the Rings or who love like fantasy and want to go to like a fantasy themed coffee shop or something. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's definitely a platform I'm trying to build there. Um, but as we know, journalism waters are very interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> these days. What? What? No, it's such a stable industry filled with well-intentioned bosses and owners who just want information to get into the hands of people who need it. Damn the costs. Uh, yeah, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Hmm. No, yeah, it's it's uh it can it can be it, 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 yeah, like the the value thing gets wrapped up in it again, too, right? Because it's like I look at so many things that are behind paywalls all the time and I'm just like, Oh God, would be really nice if people could read that article as opposed to like the screwy one that's over here or the one that's like, you know, surmising it at at another space. But like what I appreciate about all three of you is that you are, you're still, you know, burrowing down into these weird little corners Uh, because like nothing, there would be, it's not, there's no value in it, but like, no one would notice if you if you didn't cover like the the LA haunts like this year, Sabina. Like you know, if you were covering you know theme parks, people would go, yeah, IO nine covers Disneyland and Universal. But like taking the moment to go like go to some of the smaller stuff, right? And like bringing that into the conversation is so valuable. Or Todd, you doing the you doing the the piece about the ministry, or or Scott, you know, talking about you know mini golf, like. Uh, on this side of the equation, it, it matters so much, like that recognition and that that hope that maybe somebody, you know, who's, you know, if they bother to click on the main site and look out what's going else is going on, which God only knows, like that's that's a theoretical that's less and less true. Like I was acculturated in looking at the front page, so I still look at the front page, right? So like I'll come up to the front page of IO9 and I'll be like, oh, well, maybe I don't really care about, you know, I don't know, like this particular horror movie, but like James is writing about it. So sure, I'll I'll click on it, right? Because I still follow writers, that kind of thing. Like, oh, this is happening over here. You know, um, the hope that there's other nerds like that who are going to find out about this thing and go like, oh, wait, there's a what happening where? So I don't know. That's just my way of saying thank you guys for, you know, doing the work. Um, it, it It may not pay the bills, but you know, I don't got any more than Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank That's all you. I can afford. <laughs> Going back to all the little places, like I'm, I love places that kind of commit to actually giving people an experience. It's not just a pop-up Instagram wall of photos, yeah. photo ops. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously we have that like for Christmas stuff here or just even, you know, whatever like IG thing is happening. But like, if you go to like, a place that actually has a really good themed menu or a good themed menu of holiday drinks that actually make sense that like that sort of stuff I love to like include. And I like, I fight to make sure it gets included in some of my, my coverage for sure. So I, Oh, go for it, Scott. No, that's all. Yeah. Like I, I live for those um, unexplored corners and, and weird thresholds, you know, like that's the, that's the stuff that's exciting. And that's why I moved to new areas of tech and, you know, it's like an, 
even tech is a, is theater, you know, it's like an early demo of something that is not quite, um, there is interesting potential. It's questions. Um, it's, it's a lot of people throwing ideas out there. Then things get more flattened out later. (laughs) And then it's like, then it becomes very mainstream and you go, no, like I want to keep going to the places that are really asking these questions, whether it's small artist or uh, new tech or whatever it is. That's, that's, those, the thinking is there. That that early moment when when a, a a tech company or a platform is like throwing ideas at the wall, seeing what sticks, and there's all these different experimental things happening, and you know there are so many roads that wind up not being taken. Oftentimes, and it can and it can often just be a shame because maybe one thing takes off like 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 a lightning bolt, and like and then everyone wants to copy that, and yet there are these other forms that like given a little more runway. I mean. I think one of the grand problems in the past, you know, 30 years in, in America is we went from having these incredible indie scenes and incredible indie film scene and incredible indie music scene. And we still have a pretty good indie game scene, but like th- there's probably a, a ticking clock on that too. And now I think about, you know, you don't get nearly the volume of innovators in, in filmmakers maybe we, that we did in the nineties, in not necessarily because there aren't, people making really interesting movies out there, but just people being able to notice it. Right. And no one's letting sleeper hits happen. Right. Like there's a, a massive amount of impatience. It's, you know, and, and a sleeper hit can be, you know, the best thing you could possibly ever see in your life and can make careers. I mean, Tarantino's entire film career is based on the fact that those were sleeper hits, you know, they were indie hits that like slowly, but surely built up a thing. Um, I, I would can I jump in on this because yeah you made me rem, rem, reminded me of something that just like recently happened and a good company that is doing that sort of thing is uh, that feels like an immersive filmmaking event is Beyond Fest you know where you have films showcase like RRR that mm. kind of brought how that movie globally became an immersive movie going experience and one of the greatest films of all time in my opinion <laughs> where you know you'd see folks in India pop off fireworks during certain scenes or react in certain ways and then how there was like the dance craze of one of the films musical moments that had a Gene Kelly old school old Hollywood um dance moment that like folks were re recreating on TikTok in Japan, for example, and then how here in LA it kind of became a film that people still keep going to the theater to see multiple times because it kind of became this like cultural word of mouth of like you need to see this bombastic movie that melds all these genres and you wanted to bring in more people to like see their reaction to it. You know, like I I hope that there's like an intersection in immersive culture whether it's tech music in the in the indie scene that kind of like will allow for that to still continue i it made me think of particularly with rr which i still i still haven't seen and i still haven't seen in part because i had tickets to like that one of those early screenings at the alamo downtown and like i had to give it up because I think there was something I was going to do work the next day and I was like, okay, I can't, or a couple days later, there was some, something critical. And I was like, I better not go expose myself like to, to a movie theater, like a few days before this thing. Like I, I, in case something pops off, I, I I don't, I can't get sick right now. 
And that was the screening where everyone lost their minds. And then it became yeah. a phenomenon afterwards. And then I just felt like on the outside looking in, because I was just like, yeah, people keep on going to it. Okay, yeah, that's, that's their thing now. I know that um, Idiots has been playing it recently as well. Oh, they have. Okay. They have, yeah. Um, they've, they did it a few weeks ago. They just did Fan with Paradise. I'm like, yes, bring back some of these really cool theatrical, like fun audience movie going experiences. Yeah, I mean, there's a case to be made that like Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of the original immersive, you know, theatrical experiences because it's fully participatory and like, you know, all the other shenanigans that that go on in a, in a show of Rocky. Also makes me wish that the Vista would, would run RRR if there's like an actual print out there. I'm tired of them just showing Napoleon. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that's a different podcast where Noah complains about his neighborhood movie theater. Um <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm going to jump forward a little bit here because I think we've got I, I got a I got a sense of where everyone kind of feels like where immersive is at the moment. Like there's an aggregate here uh, in that. So I want you all to cast your eyes forward. Think about it's December twentieth, twenty twenty four. Either what do you think or what do you hope when it comes to immersive? Nothing else because there's some big stories that are going to be breaking late that fall. So just in this field, uh, what do you hope or think we might be talking about? Uh, come this time next year. This is not an easy question, too. Like I, I'm sitting here myself, and I'm kind of like best I can do is like, maybe the Apple Vision Pro. Um, but w- maybe maybe lean towards what do you hope, right? Because I think hope is maybe the easier one uh, to like let your imagination run with. I mean, there's definitely there are tech things afoot, right? So by the end of the trajectory of what I know is coming in 2024, which is like vision pro and Samsung, whatever Samsung and Google are cooking up with a headset, which mm. will probably be a counterpoint to that. Um, and also everything that's been happening in AI, I think I would imagine that there's the discussions will be evolving on what it means to create an immersive in tech in tech. You know, I think that right now there's been one group, there's some groups that create in, in immersive, but with like Google, Samsung, Apple entering the picture, particularly Apple leading the way probably first, the toolkits and the conversations will, will shift and, and probably maybe open up on a creative side. And I think that's interesting. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's going to be like fundamentally creatively interesting, but I think it's I think the conversations on that will be intriguing. I bring up AI because then I think that AI has already been rattling a lot of zones about um, what what it can or can't do, what what possibilities there could be creatively. I've always been more interested in less the text side, but in the perceptual side of AI. And that's definitely what like Meta is beginning to key into with like multimodal AI as they call it with the with the glasses looking at what you see through little snapshots but Roblox looking at things like in companies looking at generative AI to create assets in worlds and at what point will we will we be looking at more moments next year where generating things in immersive experiences become something improvisational um and and something that feels more part of the creative or um, or the the audience participator side of things, 
I think that's sort of been absent right now, but I think it's, it feels ready to emerge in some ways um, at some point. The way, the way AI gets talked about and the way AI gets deployed right now, like um, like students using AI to write papers, which yeah. as a college professor, that's that's no fun. Um, that, that that gag definitely got pulled on me this uh, this semester, and it was so disappointing in in a direct way because it was like I want to know what you think. I don't want to I don't want to read what you. I don't want to read five pages of bullshit, uh, you know, unless it's your bullshit, you know, like, and then like totally want to read your bullshit. You're like, what are you thinking right now? That's bullshit. Great. I'll read it. Um, what, what did the computer hallucinate? No interest, but clearly, you know, if, if part of one of the goals is like the holodeck or like a holodeck like experience, what is the holodeck, but walking up to the AI and saying like, all, uh, yeah, give me a jazz club and a and a and a hot exactly. girl and a and a trombone, right? You know, because yep. that's that's what you know Riker wants. Uh, no, no, bring bring the other hot girl back. Where did she go? Well, she got kidnapped by Moriarty, but that's just Star Trek: Next Generation, which is what we all want to live in. Uh, and uh, <laughs> sorry, it's like a crazy improv scene. Like I keep thinking yeah. about improv all the time through all these things, but it's like, yeah, we need a scene with like you know three ducks, a uh, you know uh, anesthesiologist, and we're all like in a you know, tapas bar or something. I yeah. like that. Like, and for the people who know. are playing it and doing it, like, you know, great. It's that's ephemeral, right? The thing that drives me nuts about AI is when people are trying to productize it and like make it be something that like, well, I'm gonna sell this stuff to you. And it's like, no, I'll I'll go play with a computer and make things that amuse myself like all day long, but then try to like, you know, sell that to someone else as an authentic product of one's own creativity feels just like you're missing the point. You know, inviting all your friends in to have like, you know, a D&D type session and an AI thing that you've just like spun out of nothing. Sure. Right. You know, like, but it's not, it's not meant to then be, you know, put up on a big screen or like fill the sphere with. Right. Like it, it's a, it's an ephemeral thing. And but anyway, sorry. I got us off. It feels like to me, like the box full of like uh, props, you know, it's like the prop box. Like, yeah. you know, I just want to, if you want just like a, a fun this you know you want your fun hat and the app doesn't have that like you could just kind of generate your you know i need to be a talking dinosaur now okay which you know i i can do that so i can then get to my goal which is the you know i want to be my crazy cretaceous scene or whatever you know it's like but i think that that's where i imagine the generative ai not to make a story for me but to be like the wacky prop box yeah and yeah. that and that doesn't seem like too bad of a possibility i just know it's 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 not necessarily what you know you know andrews and harwitz is like dreaming of like they want like we're gonna take over hollywood with our wonderful ais and like well you'll never have to hire another creative person ever again you'll just hit a button and say make number go up and then the machine will make the number go up um sorry uh, Sabina, what what do you, what do you maybe hope that we're we're talking about uh, a year from now? I still feel very new in the scene, and <laughs> you know, it, it's been sitting with y'all has been very interesting and informative because um, I I don't get to generally engage with fellow contributors in this field, you know, unless we're all in the same assignment and stuff, and kind of you know receiving the the experiences that we're a part of. Um, 
but you know, as far as what's coming up next, um, I, I hope more immersive, more immersive things get funding, whether it's through IP things, you know, like we did have the absence of that this year because before we'd have, you know, bigger things at Comic-Con with the activations, like, you know, it was, it was a bizarre year at Comic-Con specifically, obviously. Um, and kind of allowing for creative minds to be funded um, properly. I think that's like my biggest hope is that, you know, you get to see some of these toolbox things be used in a way where like, you know, I think there was um, that uh, the mock-ups for, I think that uh, someone did of like projection light show at Disneyland France through AI, but it's like, okay, if you take stuff like that, should it, can it still be designed by in-house people and, and then put together in a way where these artists are paid adequately to still produce what the toolboxes will be pulling out. Um, and, you know, like uh, we have 2025 will be on the horizon with some of like the really big things with universal epic universe and the, immersive um area 15 experience that you know like to me i hope is like different rotating experiences that will bring us into the worlds of various movies not just big upcoming movies like oh here is like a walkthrough where you get to encounter megan for megan too but also take us into some of like the past in in like those sort of um like bring take us back to something that feels like the back to the future ride you know obviously not at the area 15 thing but like in an experience where like they can reskin or replay a different film and we don't have to ride the simpsons ride over and over again <laughs> you know it always still feels to me like i'm walking on the graveyard of my favorite ride so i never go in there yeah um so, I mean, I, I hope that they, they get taken back into the Disney fold and away from Universal. Because, you know, with the Vast and Furious ride that will also be on the horizon, um, you have a whole area that is kind of convoluted right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still I still haven't. Uh, I will cop to this crew. Uh, aside from, like, a couple of, like, press runs through to, like, go to, like, different things, I still haven't, like, just, like, done Universal proper. Like ever, and I was born in Southern California, and I still haven't done it. But part of it's because like I was so scared of the idea of Jaws, and like the ads for Jaws being part of like the tram ride were like a major part of it forever and a day. So like deep down inside, I just have this aversion to like going into Universal because I know Jaws is waiting for me. I did not know you had you have a fear of Jaws. I mean, I did. I mean, great. I was born the year Jaws came out. And I think that is one of the reasons why, like, just the image of a great white shark is, like, like, just deep down inside, like, still, like, I have the distinct memory in the library in elementary school, like, I was a book sorter, right, third grade, and turning over a book on sharks that had, like, a picture of a great white shark, like, on it, and just popping and levitating across the room. Like I jumped up and next thing I knew I was on the other side of the library and I was like, I can't do this shark. I just screamed like shark and ran away. Um, yeah. So like, you know, so, so you're, are you saying you haven't done the studio tour proper I haven't, or I haven't, I haven't done universal at all. I mean, like I've, I've been in to go to Hogwarts, the, there was like a, a one, they did a projection mapping thing one night. I was there for that. Yeah. 
I think there was another night, there was another thing I, I vaguely remember kind of going to like another press press thing and being like, oh, this is cool. But I've never, never done the tour, you know, never, never rid any of the rides, still haven't gone to Mario Land, excuse me, Nintendo Land. I keep on calling it Mario Land because it's just Mario Kart there. And so I'm just mm-hmm. defaulting, yeah. like, you know, put something other than Mario in and I'll, I'll call it something other than Mario Land. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I haven't, I just, I don't, it just hasn't happened. It'll happen. I keep thinking about Nintendo Land, the Wii U game, which I feel like it was was that like the prediction of this all? Like that that pack in Wii U game <laughs> was like where you were in a theme park full of like all these different yeah. like Nintendo locations, and the name was kind of similar. I, I the last trip I, I made, he honestly, I mean, like yeah. as soon as Super Mario World opened, <laughs> I was like, uh, if this will eventually lead to us being able to stay at a hotel that's like animal crossing and either paying yes. for tent or for a nice little cottage. Like I'm so down for this. It's got to happen. I've my last trip before the pandemic was to uh, universal in, in Florida. So like we did it all and it was great, but then we skipped doing galaxy's edge and then we're like, we'll catch it next time. And that next oh. time is now like entering 2024, but, oh but yeah, we're hope but next year, hopefully you go into universal and, uh, in LA to see Mario and company. Well, well, let me know when you come through town and maybe, maybe that'll be when maybe I'll tag along or something. Yeah. Like that. You should, you should care for the, you should do that. Meet, meet the kids. Yeah. Todd, we'll let you, we'll let you take us on. Where, where do you hope, what do you hope we're talking about in, in terms of immersive a year from now? Well, I mean, I, I certainly know some of the, some things I'll be writing about, um, you know, I'll certainly be covering uh, Tiana's, Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Um, I hope I'm writing about how great the uh, Princess Peach game for the Nintendo Switch was. Um, you know, uh, but I think uh, I think what excites me about this space, as much as I love Super Nintendo World, um, and I do love it, um, is sort of it's a space that allows for like a lot of like narrative um, experimentation. And for as old as immersive is, if you're like connecting it to theater it still feels like people are still figuring out how to play with storytelling. Um, and if I think about some of the things I love most, you know, in 2023, you know, it was stuff like La Lucha that you and I saw Noah down in San Diego. Mm. And um, here in LA, I was happy to see like some new immersive companies sprout up and try to experiment with, you know, there was a show here called Castle in the Sky that ran for a month in November um, that dove into LA history. And, um, we also both you and I know I saw a Boston Court Theater in Pasadena experiment with a little bit of a lightly immersive touches with a measure still for measure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hope I just continue to stumble upon people who are toying with narrative and toying with how to tell stories, you know, because I think as exciting as a big new theme park attraction is, um, there's something that's really powerful, like when you have a one on one interaction or a intimate interaction with an actor and in a small space. So um, I just hope we continue to see more of that. And I hope I continue to be more surprised and curious to discover more of this. Fantastic. Well, Scott, Todd, Sabina, thank you all so much for joining us as we wrap up the year uh, on the pod before we just turn around and start doing it all over again. Uh, (laughs) uh, Where can folks find you? Sabina, where can folks find you uh, out there in the great big internet? Um, well, with the uh, great migration we're all doing right now into various platforms. <laughs> I know, right? 
the most consistent place you can find me and the experiences I get to do is on TikTok at Going Cool Places and on Instagram at Going Cool Places. That's where I try to put a lot of, you know, these cool things I get to do that I, I just feel so ridiculously humbled and honored to call my job. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like my most recent, like actually you've never gone viral until very recently. My dad uh, went to Galaxy's Edge for the first time. I saw and- this, yeah. You um his experience of you know being an immigrant who came to America um in like the late 80s who grew up on Star Wars who in turn bought the Star Wars VHSs to watch to learn the language because he knew the film so well in Mexico that he kind of like I actually can't even tell you the first time I found out Luke Luke's father was Darth Vader like I like I I'm like I just know that's what happened because I'd seen those movies so much growing up and he was someone who worked so often that when Galaxy's Edge opened and I wanted to take him with me I couldn't because he was like oh I gotta work it didn't happen until just recently and he went and experienced it like he turned into a kid again and it touched so many hearts on the internet apparently because I honestly made that real so I could send it to my family members in Mexico so they could see him going through everything but like it is struck a chord with so many people and like me and my dad are so thankful that people are like vibing with it and, and wanting to experience that with their loved ones uh, so now I'm just rambling and because it's a weird thing to go through, I guess. Because yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I write about these things for work and then this very personal thing that happened popped off and I'm like, wow, that's that's what it takes? Okay. Um, Radical but, vulnerability, right? Yeah. You know, not, not the internet wants it so much, desperately. It's <laughs> actually interesting because like given what, you know, Todd was talking about like the intimate stuff, right? I mean, this is the thing. We all crave it. Like we want to either yeah. like watch it happen or we want it happen for us, right? Like we're all like craving this this radical vulnerability um yeah they're but, really uh, sweet i don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to see them they're really sweet videos actually yeah you should check them out it's on, it's on both um, the full one is on tiktok because tiktok allowed me to do like a seven minute video and then the chunks of it are on instagram because obviously it's shorter yeah. uh times on that but um outside of that professionally you can find me on io9 gizmodo and uh, that's where I view most of my theme park conversations and my updates on the DeSantis versus Disney Florida battle. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun when uh, when they install Bob Chapek as governor of Florida for life. Uh, that's just gonna be the part that I'm gonna laugh the most at. That's that's a punishment for both Florida and Bob Chapek. Uh, Todd. Uh... <laughs> What I'm gonna get in trouble, Todd. Uh, den- den- deny that you know me, uh, so that your contacts don't burn you. Uh, but tell us where they can find you. Um, so we all have author pages on the LA Times, so you can just do a simple search of Todd Martin's LA Times, uh, M A R T E N S, like choose Doc Martin's, um, and uh, also available on uh, X as formerly known as Twitter as Todd Martin's, and Instagram also as Todd Martin's. All right. Scott, how about you? Um, yeah, um, I hope you find me. I, I think just, you know, uh, on CNET, the shrapnel of the internet, wherever you might be able to locate me. Um, I think, yeah, I, I'm figuring it out. I mean, definitely on X, uh, threads, bits of Mastodon and Blue Sky with aspirations for TikTok and Instagram someday. I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm very... I'll, you know, I'm the latest arriver to that. But as I get into radical vulnerability, um, my my style will will open up. I'm I'm thinking about, uh, yeah, I'm going to be moving into more of that. But find me on um, 
find me in those places. And oh, I nice. guess in the, in the immersive realms, um, uh, connect with me on, on quest and stuff and or wherever. We'll go, we'll get some mini golf in. Don't worry. We will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully this becomes clearer next year about how, how to find people. We're in, we're oh, in a, a rough <laughs> patch. We're in a real rough patch at the end of 2023. Oh yeah. On that no, front. Without a doubt. All right. Well, on that note, thank you all for spending part of your evening here with us. And uh, we will talk to you again in the not too distant future, I imagine. Once again, I want to thank Sabina and Todd and Scott for joining us on the cast this time out. I uh, also want to give a shout out uh, to David and PG of the Reality Escape podcast, who couldn't be on the show this time out. Scheduling conflicts uh, c- kept it from happening. It was, it was packing everything in uh, just a few days before Christmas. I uh, also want to give a shout out to Alexis Solowski of the New York Times, our colleague over there, uh, who, who tagged out and said, like, well, I haven't really seen anything this year. And then like uh, a couple of days ago, dropped this really good article about marketing activations and immersive, uh, and she managed to squeeze Squid Game in. So uh, next time, Alexis, next time. Uh, but uh, also Alexis wrote a book this year, uh, like a mystery that I think that's partially set in the immersive theater world. Anyway, shout out. Um, gosh, I said I want to talk to you about some stuff, and it, and I did, and now I can't what it was um oh right no 10th anniversary i kind of mentioned that at the top at the top look um someone someone uh saw me the other day and said like congratulations on all the changes and it's like look these changes they're they're, they're not so much changes as i mean maybe maybe these look like changes from the outside uh for me it's just evolution of stuff uh we have been doing this for 10 years now uh it started very small grabbing the URL, starting the MailChimp, starting to write reviews like for a different site and starting to do some articles that were focused on this at the place that I was working at at the time. And then that became the podcast. And then from the podcast became the medium site and then became like creator meetups and then became summits and trotting around the world and teaching to CalArts and building a team that's, that's, encompasses the globe which is wild given that we have no money and everyone's volunteering and uh i keep on trying to win a lotto and it keeps on happening and i'm like why not come on um all that said uh it is a very exciting year that's that's sketched out in front of us uh a very challenging year um i know that's true that's gonna be happening that way uh, so there'll be bumps and scrapes along the road, uh, but there'll also be plenty of time to bring folks together and, and more importantly, to drill down into some very specific channels. So not necessarily about gathering all the banners together every time we do something, uh, but starting to specialize and get specific and, and explore some of the depths for no pro for the pod in the year ahead. Uh, I've got a couple of, you know, uh, aspects of immersive, uh, dimensions here that I want to spend some dedicated time on little recurring themes. Uh, I don't want to spill yet cause I want to make sure there's a stuff, some stuff in the can before we get there. But I, I, I wanted to kind of focus for a second on 
on actually what Alexis wrote about uh, and about what we touched on in this episode a bit, which is about the, sort of the locus is in the the marketing side of this thing right now in the in the bringing to life these these other IPs um, and, and not necessarily on original theatrical work and and in in the moment in where we are that's okay um i want to be sure that all of us are conscious of of keeping the theatrical for the theatrical sake alive but this is all part of an ecosystem and my dream for us has always been a sustainable scenario where it looked a lot like the careers of some of your larger movie makers, like your Chris Nolans, where it's one for them and one for us. And there's a big marketing activation that gets everybody employed. And then out of that, some of the team there gets to do some funky little art thing. And that feels like balance to me. Definitely in the world that we live in, that is pretty balanced. I do worry sometimes that it's people aren't going to strike out to like do like the little art things, but then every once in a while, one little art thing does pop up out of nowhere, surprisingly. Like when Josh Randall did the Just Romeo and Juliet bit earlier this year, or when, you know, Tiger's Bride shows up in New York. These sorts of moments where we get to see the community try something new out, stretch their legs, spread their wings. Uh, it probably doesn't look like the last thing they did. And that's a good thing. We love that. That's what we live for. And I, uh, perhaps because I've had a lot of caffeine and sugar today, uh, despite the fact that December was a pretty cruel month to me uh, on, on a human level, uh, I find myself really optimistic because there is something so fundamental, something so joyous, something so emotionally rich, right? Like, like a, like a good soup or rich soup. Um, not like necessarily money, but, but, but there's something rich about the inherent quality of immersive work whether it's theatrical or it's digital, whether it is a large built environment or whether it is something that takes place between an actor and an audience member. There is so much to this form that has yet to be fully explored, even with all the chronicling we've been doing it. And I've been afforded this wonderful opportunity uh, with the class that I'm designing for CalArts this coming semester to go even deeper into it. And hopefully on the back end of that class, there'll be some benefits here for the podcast and some, some more stuff that'll happen on the website. No absolute guarantees on that because the future is always in motion as a little green man once said, but I am excited about how much more there is on tap and how we're entering an era of creating clarity and consensus and starting to coalesce into what the wisdom of this practice is and into what the impacts of this practice far beyond just what happens in the room or what happens, you know, to, to move the needle for a marketing activation, which is great, measurable and good and keeps us going to the next thing. There's so much more here. 
and we're only just starting to be able to put words to it. And I look forward to doing more of that in the year to come. All right. Oh man, I feel just, how do I feel so good right now? I don't know. I just do. How is one supposed to follow a declaration like that? One does it. Let's just get out of here. All right. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. This podcast is all my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>